Hi, I'm Vincey Glenn, getting ready for the Desiree Show. Come join us. This is Chris Lambert. Don't forget to listen to the Desiree Show tonight. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for having me. Greetings and happy Wednesday. This is the Desiree Show, First Downs and Flip Tricks. And uh, I think we are, we're recording well. We had little technical difficulties this evening, so uh, bear with me. Um, so, but I'm ex- super excited. It's actually the n- November 30th today. We've got a few more days. Actually, this is the last day of November. Uh, December is upon us. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and a holiday weekend. I did, and uh, then I got the flu, uh, which actually flipped me into having somewhat of a uh, guilt-free weekend of watching football. Uh, on the couch. So anyways, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Tonight I'm really excited to welcome two tremendous impactful individuals um, touching lives. First off, I'm heading to Washington to a man who has helped change lives, families, communities, Coach Masaki Matsumoto. Uh, and at the bottom of the hour, a true visionary, he's been instrumental in shaping the views we see through his artistry and photography and film. Uh, from black and white film to cinematography, iconic lensman Tobin Yelland. Uh, now, as you all know, I I worked five seasons uh, for KUSI's PPR, which is a high school football show, and uh, I am familiar with you know I was uh, produced all the citizen athlete show uh, athlete packages, coaches, um, quite a few. I was you know producing shows, uh, the live shows as well, and I stumbled upon my next guest, um, not out on the field, but actually after watching a Monday night football or a Thursday night football game, uh, some real special ESPN did is E60, The Letterman, and it's sharing a special story on a Hollywood Bernstein uh, high school program. And what this specific gentleman did to sort of, uh, that touched the entire community, uh, how and what Coach Matsumoto did. Uh, so it's truly a special coach, a human, a mentor. His impact and love is felt through his fam- players, their families, the community, and anyone who has met him. He's a teacher in the classroom, in the f- on the field, a former head coach of Bernstein Dragons in Hollywood, and now the current head coach of Lincoln High School Abes in Tacoma, Washington. Um, he's also been nominated currently for the 2017 Double Goal Coach Award through the Positive Coaching Alliance. Huge warm thanks and a warm welcome uh, to Coach Masaki Matsumoto. And are are you still there? Coach? Hello? Okay. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. You know, huge thanks uh, for making the time tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, No worries. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, and congratulations, first of all, congratulations on the 9-3 record for this season, uh, a playoff appearance to the quarters, uh, and 18th ranked in the state of Washington is, is, no big, is no big slouch. That's phenomenal. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Our, our uh, kids did a great job and you know, stepped up. And, um, uh, and um, yeah, just, it's, you know, coaches, uh, school support, everyone uh, just did a great job. And so, you know, we, we, we could have went a little further, but um, it was a great season. Yes, um, I guess it's never good enough. I, at least for me, it's not. But yeah, no, it's um, that fantastic. Now you've created some real, s- truly specialness that was actually showcased nationally. Uh, let's start from the beginning, though, of your coaching career in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I uh, 
I was going to grad school um, in San Diego, and one of my friends at church asked, you know, if I wanted to volunteer coach at a local high school um, because you know she knew that I played uh, college football, and so I said sure because I, you know, all my classes were at night, so I had some time, and um, happened to be at a at a powerhouse uh, school, Cathedral Catholic, and um, you know, learn learn a lot of good things, uh, learn how to run a good program. And uh, so that's where I started my coaching career, just as a JV volunteer coach. That's awesome. And and then you mentioned also you were a former player in college. Now, where did you go to school, uh, and where were you playing at? I played at uh, Trinity University in Chicago. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, and that's where I, I, I learned a lot of the philosophies about, you know, um, through our head coach who was there, who, you know, who really changed my life. Um, about just you know using football as a vehicle to help you know um, young men. No, and that's actually truly what you have done. Um, you know, I, you know what, you know what, you know. There's a special. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of sidestep here now, and we're gonna gonna go straight to, you know, you made national headlines uh, with something you did uh, for the community, uh, for your players. Um, something that's really quite simple but wasn't really done you you know you did this letter um and i'm going to have you explain about this letter yes ma'am um well you know not to uh uh not to you know kill the kill the mood or whatever but i you know i, I mean like all coaches you know we're we're big thieves um we i i got the idea from uh tom boehner who coaches at uh, bothell high school in Seattle. I just, you know, I, I try to make it a, um, a goal to go beat three successful coaches in the offseason. And in 2012, um, he happened to be one of them. And um, he told me about this thing he does with his players, um, you know, at the beginning of the season. And, um, you know, I thought it was powerful, but I really thought it would be even more powerful, um, you know, at, at a school like ours, which is in the city, you know, um, our they, a lot of our kids come from broken homes at Bernstein. Um, you know, they're working three, four jobs, single moms usually. And so I thought, you know, um, it would be really powerful for them to hear from their parents, you know, how, how much uh, they, they really care about them and love them because they don't have time to express it or they just don't know how to express it, you know. And so um, when I got this idea, um, I just I just have to do it. And I, I realized after being at Bernstein for a few years, you know, these kids, they just, they don't do great and they don't, uh, you know, have high standards for themselves because they don't feel they matter and they, they don't feel they, they're cared for and it's like, okay, well, even if I do this, like, who's going to notice anyways? So, I just felt that it was really important that, you know, they, that these parents um, write these letters because, again, truly, uh, that's where the kids want, you know, their confirmation from their, their parents. So, what I did was I, I wrote a letter um, in, in Spanish and English, and um, you know I asked the Spanish teacher to translate into Spanish, um, and I asked the kids to, um, you know, I sealed it so the kids didn't know about it. I sealed it in an envelope, and I asked her, I I, I asked them to take it to their parents, don't look at it, and then I gave them a deadline to you know, bring it all back. And fortunately, they they all did, which was awesome. And um, one practice. Uh, we just said, hey, we're not, we're not going to go out to the gym today. We're going to go in the gym, and uh, we're going to give out the, 
letters that your parents wrote and you know a lot of them were shocked because they they, they they didn't know what I had given them and what they had brought back and uh, I just told them you know find a quiet area by yourself and anywhere in the gym uh, please you know don't sit with anyone uh, you know just focus you know on the letter and read it and take it in and soak it in and I gave them about 15 20 minutes uh, to read it and uh, you know right away kids were starting to cry and I, I heard sniffling and you know um it was amazing, and uh, at the end of the at the end of the session, I brought the whole team together, and I just asked you know each kid to, if they wanted to um, to share what was on their heart, and um, you know whatever they wanted to share with the team regarding the letter or whatever you know whatever they were feeling at that moment, and it was just so powerful because lot of the kids were like I, I didn't even know my dad loved me, or I didn't know my mom cared about me this much, and you know, and then we made it a teaching point like. Hey, you guys can be successful on and off the field because the people do love you and people do support you. You also have a family here, you know, in, in your team, your teammates and coaches. And so there's no excuse for you guys not to, you know, uh, reach your ceiling and to go for, you know, uh, going to college and, and doing great things because you do have support and you do have love. And so um, that really brought the team together. And, you know, I think a lot of kids became more successful on and off the field because of that moment, and uh, it definitely brought our team together. Um, so it was it was a, it was a great thing. But I, I, I obviously I had no idea, you know, that it would get this big. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine. I mean, I don't know how you can conceive that it that would have the ripple effect it did. Um, I mean, I would imagine quite overwhelming. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, you know, uh, I mean, not, you know, um, I guess. Recognition-wise, but also just the impact that it had on the kids. You know, I I thought it was a good idea, and I thought it could, um, you know, make a huge impact for these kids. But I just didn't know how how big it, it really, you know, would touch them. And you know, I mean, obviously, you saw the show Scrappy, and um, his mom, they became super close. And mm-hmm. you know, she said she came to all the games because of the letter. And so it was it was just you know really it was awesome. It was amazing. Yeah, you know, a huge congratulations. If you're just tuning in, I'm joined by uh, Coach Masaki Matsumoto, and you can follow him on Twitter at Coach Matsumoto, one word. And, you know, yes, this uh, special gift. uh, Now, you know, I want to mention, we're going to go back, because how was it being followed around by an ESPN film crew um, filming kind of this very intimate uh, and close-knit family that you had, that you had are pretty much responsible for creating or aiding and making it so close. Yeah. Um, at first, I was a little skeptical, um, but now the, the camera crew, the producer, Mike Harold, uh, they, they, they did a phenomenal job. You know, um, being there all the time, um, they were there for a lot of things, you know, meetings, um, you know, they didn't show it, but, you know, a couple of kids got in trouble for drinking, and, you know, I had to, uh, you know, punish them and talk to them about stuff, and, you know, they were there for all that stuff, and, you know, but they were great. Um, they, they stayed out of the way as much as possible, and, but I also mean, you know, when they're hitting, you know, um, to bring exposure to the school, and um, it would show a lot of coaches, you know, what really coaching should be about, and so, you know, when you think about the bigger picture, it's like, okay, it's a little annoying, but... <laughs> You know, um, you know, it, we we dealt with it, but but again, they 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 were they were great. Yeah, it's awesome. Now, when did this sort of calling to coaching come about for you? Um... Yeah, um, 
Or when no, you knew it was sort of the next, the next, it's the next step for yourself. Excuse me, what was that, what was that last one? Well, that it was going to be, uh, it was going to become part of your life. I mean, yeah, um, it's crazy because I, I feel really blessed uh, because in ninth grade I knew I wanted to be a teacher um, because of the coaches and teachers I had um, in middle school and high school, and so I was like, okay. Um, this is what I'm going to do for the future generation, you know, and I was like, okay. Um, but, you know, a lot of ninth graders think about stuff and then it changes. But luckily, um, as I got older and I was going through the, you know, education program and college and et cetera, I just, you know, that, that passion to teach and work with teenagers and just kept growing. And then um, I, I, I really wasn't sure about coaching, you know, I, I was open to it because I loved football and I thought I could be okay at it. Um, and I thought it could be fun, um, but I, I, I wasn't really pursuing it until, like I said, my friend at church in uh, San Diego asked me, you know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to volunteer coach. And once I started coaching um, at Cathedral, um, I just, you know, I just enjoyed it, and um, I thought I could be good at it. I thought, okay, I'm at a great, you know, high school, a, a powerhouse who wins championship, you know, every year almost. Um, I, you know, I so it's a great starting block. You know, I I I've gained a lot of knowledge, and then like I said, my uh, college coach, he really um, impacted my life through football. And I was like, okay, um, this is you know what I what I'm supposed to do. I think along with teaching. Right on. Uh, now, and you have impacted so many, and I think many maybe you don't realize. Um, I have a quote here from you, for you. Masaki is an incredible coach who knows football very well. More importantly, he cares about his players. He understands the importance of helping these young men grow to be responsible, caring, understanding people in our world, and that winning is a byproduct of this. I hope this helps. If you need more, please let me know. Uh, Masaki is a wonderful young man. Coach Sean Doyle. Mm, wow. <laughs> and he wants me to tell you hi <laughs> as well. <laughs> Oh wow! You reached out to him, huh? Yes. Oh man, he's yeah, he's he's he's, he's an awesome guy. Like I told you, he's yeah. I'm kind I'm kind of getting teary. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there's just been so many. What people don't understand is, you know, that they they think I'm this great guy and great coach, but I I, I am who I am because first, you know, um, my my faith, and second, just people like him. I've been surrounded by so, so many great men. And, great coaches and so I you know I just I, I feel blessed well and I think you you, you bless those as well uh, at least that's all I've heard um, now you you know from Hollywood Burns well actually from Washington to Chicago to San Diego and then to <laughs> Los Angeles and then back and I probably missed a yes, few other spots uh, and then back to Washington um, you know it's been uh, I would imagine a double whammy um, you know you're at Bernstein for 10 years, I think, if that's correct. Around, yeah. yeah or nine. Approximately nine, nine years, nine seasons. Mm -hmm. um, you left uh, to go back home to Washington in another coaching position where you step mm -hmm. in behind a former NFL player who was coaching the team. Um, yes. All of us have gone, you know, we, I mean, I, I would imagine bittersweet in, in, or just not, I shouldn't say bittersweet, but 
just sort of a crazy dynamic, you know, of this very close leaving the family at Bernstein, but yet going to be with family and then also having a new set, a, a whole new, kind of being the new kid at school. Um, how yeah. did you get through that? Uh, it was tough. It was very tough. Um, you know, again, I had big shoes to fill, and I knew it was going to be tough. I just, you just never know how tough it could be until you actually get there, you know? And um, when, uh, at first, I just, yeah, you know, kids kids weren't fully bought in. Um, you know, a lot of the kids, especially the seniors, were um, were bitter. Uh, I think they kind of took it out on me, which I understand, you know, kids, kids don't know how to deal with their emotions very well. And so, um, you know, I got a lot of the, the bitterness and the pushback and, you know, anything that was different, you know, we would hear, oh, well, that's not how we did it before. And so it was really tough. Um, and I, I, it made me question a lot of things that I was going to go. And, you know, because leaving me, I was like, okay, like, this is the way we do it. Um, but then I was like, okay, when I got to Lincoln and, all these things were questioned. I was like, okay, maybe I don't have the answers. Maybe I need to revamp everything. Um, and I just, you know, kind of lost confidence. And but again, it was it was, it was really a great thing. Um, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and it's so true because um, because of those things I went through, I, I got I got I, I got a lot better, and I re, I did revamp a lot of things, and I did um, you know um, make make some changes and. Um, you know, question some things I was doing, and 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 when when you do that, and when you challenge yourself, you grow and you become a better coach, better person, and so that's what Lincoln did for me. And, you know, I always tell people that um, Lincoln, that first year, Lincoln was very tough, but I became a way, way better coach because of it. And if I would have just stayed at Bernstein, I would have been kind of complacent, and I would have just been stuck in my ways, you know. And um, so I think that's a, it's a good lesson for people to hear that it is good to go through those things and. Um, through those trials because you always should, you know, um, question what you're doing and, um, you know, um, kind of challenge yourself and, and try to grow. But sometimes it's hard when you play for a while. Um, and so coming to thinking forced me to do that. Um, and as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, um, I was also going through some personal stuff, um, not taking care of myself and, you know, just work, work, work was all I did. And so I lost sight of, you know, taking care of myself physically, spiritually, mentally. And um, all that just kind of, you know, combined with the transition and being in a new place where people weren't really, ex ex you know, accepting you as much as you would like. And um, it was last April, I almost thought about leaving. And, um, you know, I interviewed for a couple different schools and um, I thought I was done with the inner city and, you know, I I was like, okay, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna go run to a private school and where, where kids are nice and like, whatever, uh, where it's gonna be, you know, all nice and dandy. Uh, but one of my mentors, uh, one of my mentors, he just challenged me and said, you know what, you're just not taking care of yourself. So wherever you go, you're gonna, you're gonna be miserable still. And and I, you know, I knew he was right. And so I, you know, I decided to uh, take care of myself better in those three areas: spiritually, mentally, physically. And, um, you know, once I thought about what I was going to do and, and that I was going to take care of myself, I thought to myself, okay, if I'm, if I'm a better, if I'm a healthy Masaki, I'm going to be a lot more useful at a place like Lincoln than if I, you know, go to a private school where they, they have parents and they have money and they have the things they need, you know, and Lincoln, they don't, these kids don't have that. And so I felt like 
I'm gonna I, I would do uh, you know more service here, so that's why I decided to stay. And you know, uh, luckily I am at a better place because I did make a commitment to take care of myself. Right on. Now, how do you balance it? How do you balance, um, you know, work and home and taking care of yourself? Uh, it's something that I'm learning. <laughs> I'm looking to for do. the keys. <laughs> yes, I yeah, I, I definitely haven't mastered it. Um, but you know, I uh, one thing you know again the same mentor. He just tells me, hey, like Sunday is the Sabbath. Like you need to rest on Sunday to church and. Just not think of stuff. Uh, if you got to go in early Monday, then do it. You know, but Sunday you got to take off. So, you know, making a commitment to do that, and you know, um, I'm I'm such type A. I'm I'm so type A. You know, like I just want to do everything um, because I feel like okay, people aren't gonna do it right. But I'm trying to, you know, I'm starting to trust my coaches more and starting to delegate. Um, and you know, I, um, what one of my friends used to say, like, after 7 p.m., don't check email. So I'm learning some of these <laughs> little tips and, you know, try to, I'm trying to do that, um, you know, in my life. But I definitely haven't perfected it. But the, the fact that I'm more conscious of it and, and trying these things, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's helped a lot. Right on. Well, cool. Well, hopefully we can get, we can all learn a little bit. I, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's a constant, <laughs> constant thing to try to balance it all out. Um, yes, ma'am. Now, um, you know, looking ahead, though, now, uh, are, are there any sites for Coach Matsumoto to go and to be coaching in the NCAA or maybe in the NFL? <laughs> Definitely not the NFL. Definitely okay. not the NFL. I mean, there's no school um, attached there, but, I mean, there's a school hard knocks, but not the <laughs> Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, college, you know, I, I, I should be super against it. Um, just not because college is bad or anything. I one, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of recruiting. Uh, I feel like I'm not a good, great salesman. <laughs> um, and two, uh, they have recruiters know, I, I feel, though. <laughs> they yeah, have yeah, people exactly. That exactly. But uh, and two, I don't know. I, I I just sometimes think it's a little too serious. The football part, mm -hmm. you know. Um, again, we take football very seriously. We game plan. We put in a lot of hours. That you know. Feel like we have a good scheme and all that stuff, but again, at the end of the day, football for me again it's just is a vehicle that I use, and so I feel like high school is the perfect level because you know unless you're at like modern day or something or cathedral, <laughs> you know um, it's not all about winning and losses, and um, you know you may not lose your job, you know after five and five seasons. But um, I just I don't know I more I, I just high school kids I feel like at that age they're really 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 you know. Um, Boldable, if that's the word. Um, you know, they really take in what you say, even if you don't see the benefits. You know, ten years later, um, they, uh, you know, they do listen to what you're saying and they do need good models at that age. And so, um, and football, as they said, what what better, uh, you know, stay do you have, you know, than football? Being a football coach, you're around, you're around a hundred boys like every day, you know, for nine months of the year. Uh, you know, if you do the off season and all that, um, and I just feel like if high school football is perfect for me at this at this time. Awesome. No, and and where you find service the most service to being able to help form these young lives, uh, which yes, is yes, something that I think is even more uh, important these days uh, in this you know this millennium kid. Um, and I hate to you know to put it in that category, but I I feel that the need for good coaches and good mentors and good teachers um, to show and to teach 
things that we kind of were taught, um, you know, to share that with these youth. I think it's a huge, amazing. My hat is off. Thank you. Now, uh, and then we're going to we're going to side shift. Well, actually, I'm going to do one more college question, and then um, and we'll wind it up. But I the NCAA uh, selections. Uh, any thoughts on that? <laughs> oh, the uh, uh, playoffs. Yes. Uh, well, as long as the Huskies get in, uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm a I'm a Seattle fan. You know, Seahawks, Huskies, Mariners, and then you know, when the Sonics were here. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm all Seattle diehard fan, so um, as long as the Huskies get in, I, I, I'm okay. Okay. But okay. they should expand to eight. They should expand to eight teams. But you know, yes, no, I no well, no. My theory is we go back to those the five: the Fiesta Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and we have them set up the same way. Although that doesn't allow for other independent schools to get in. But we said, yeah. and then we have a playoff between all of those teams. But this year, it's crazy. Okay. I mean, that's yeah, what I've been wanting is. to do for a few years. But, you know, this year, it's crazy. I mean, Ohio State isn't even playing yeah. in the championship game. Um, exactly. And, I mean, so there's still so many variables to happen here um, before we have these final four. Um, and uh, and then last question is, obviously, you mentioned a Seahawks fan. Uh, they still are ranked presently right now. If we were going to the playoffs right now, they are in the number two spot, so they would host and have the first bye week. Um, they're a half game ahead, though. Um, Tampa, we won't talk about Tampa. As a coach, I'm sure you you, you don't talk. You, you forget. You have a short memory, and you forget about the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. But they're hosting the Panthers this weekend. Uh, any game predictions from you? Um, well, depends. I mean, we had – we. You know, including the game. I mean, mm-hmm. we had like ten guys out yeah. uh, against Tampa Bay, and and some, you know, five of them were like key guys. And so, if we can get at least half of them healthy, um, you know, and it's a it's a home game, correct? Mm-hmm. I think it's home. Yeah. Yep, it's so um, I, I think I think I think we should be okay. Uh, but you, you know, I mean, Carolina played the Raiders tough, and so it's not going to be easy. But I think um, again, if we're somewhat healthy. Um, and it's a home game. I think we should be okay. Uh, let's say um, 28-17. Okay. I like And the 12s. You're home. And Cam is back. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right on. Well, huge, huge thanks for making the time. And thank you so much for what you do. Um, you know, really. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. It's an honor. No, it's an honor to have you, and uh, have a wonderful evening, and I look forward to staying in touch with you, Coach. Yes, ma'am. All right. Awesome. All right. Have a good night. You too. All right. Huge thanks uh, to Coach Masu- Matsu- Masaki Matsumoto, um, and dearly making an impact. Now, um, I'm sorry, you guys. I am. They moved all the everything around here, and so everything is a little off for me, so I'm kind of struggling with my equipment. I hope it's not been a too big of a difference for you. Uh, but huge thanks again to uh, Coach um, Matsumoto, and uh, thank you, you know, thanks again for what he does. Coming up next, you've seen him, or you've seen his images growing up in skateboarding with iconic images, catching, you know, pretty much capturing all the tricks, but not only that, the scenes and the feelings and the emotions. Um, I'm super excited to welcome a a phenomenal, iconic memory maker, Tobin Yelland. All right. Welcome back. This is the Desiree Show, First Downs and Flip Tricks. I'm excited to welcome amazing, iconic visionary 
who's actually painted this amazing picture uh, through his images, through the rawness and the emotion, capturing the hot behind scenes, the phenomenal tricks, a filmmaker, a skater, a director, someone who has truly impacted skateboarding in the youth community uh, with real grit and emotion. Uh, you've, you've seen, obviously, his work, uh, you know, it's embedded in my head. Uh, you know, I think of Andy Roy shooting a gun or John Cardiel screaming um, and so many other images. Um, I'm super excited to, to welcome Mr. Tobin Yellen. Tobin. Hi, Desiree. Oh, okay, Hi. good. Can Thanks you hear us all right? <laughs> I can. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Thanks so much for making some time for us uh, tonight. Really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Great to talk to you. And thanks for sharing your images, you know, your your view, your vision. Um, you know, I've, I spoke to quite a few people before uh, tonight, and they kind of confirmed everything I had to, I had thought. Um, and so I, I want to start with, uh, I'm going to start with a quote. Um, and this person actually asked if, he said, can, can it be a small paragraph, Desiree? I have lots to say about him. So right here, right now is probably the best way I can describe Tobin. I met Tobin when I was in high school, just after a semester of photo class, and had always tried to analyze the way he got great shots of people and their expressions, let alone his amazing skating shots. It wasn't until later in my adult life and seeing that through my own photos, it wasn't about a plan, a contrived situation. It was all about being right there when it was all happening and being able to recognize the brightness of events. Cheers to Tobin for always being right here, right now. Love, John Cardiel. Oh, that's so nice. Thanks, John. Yeah, and so um, now you know, and we're gonna. I'm gonna I'll reset here, and we're gonna start kind of with your upbringing. You uh, grew up in the Bay. Uh, you're born in Berkeley. Your parents moved out, sort of out to the sticks. Um, came back to the Bay. Um, you know, and you know, you want. Do you have any memories of when you were young, living out in the sticks? I should say. <laughs> um, You're yeah, young. like <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my parents were artists, and they after they got out of art school, they uh, they moved to the country in Mendocino County, which is like three and a half hours north of San Francisco. Um, and then my mom no longer wanted to live up there, but my dad did, so. Um, she moved to San Francisco when I was three, um, and and then so I would stay in San Francisco for the school year and then be um, in the country in the summer. So, yeah, I remember being in the country. I stayed up there until I was 12 every summer, um, and I had friends up there, and my dad didn't have a TV, and we just had our BMX bikes, and um, we'd go swimming and being, you know, cruising around on our BMX bikes, and just looking for things to do. Uh, so, yeah, I had a lot of time in the country growing up. Um, and then I would come back to the city and be, like, uh, you know, in, surrounded by, like, cement and um, uh, friends that, you know, skateboarded and, I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was a fun combination. Yeah, now, can I, now, I mean, obviously, you was there any agriculture? I mean, did you help grow or did you, was your dad growing or... I mean, were you, um, I, I mean, I'm just asking about growing organics or growing vegetables, uh, living out kind of in the woods 
or in the wilderness. Oh. But Mendocino's not the woods, but I mean, but it's beautiful. <laughs> no, it is the woods. Well, well, Mendocino <laughs> is like you know it's on the coast um, and it's a little town, but um, Mendocino County is is really big, um, and yeah, my father's house is like a uh, an hour uh, east of um, the ocean. Um, and when I was growing up, every road was a dirt road. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of people growing their own vegetables, and um, there was kind of a mixture of um, loggers. So we, the closest um, kind of uh, civil, civilization to our house was a logging mill that also had a convenience store and a post office, and and so they were just harvesting trees. Um, there was a lot of like hippies growing pot. Um, and then there was also a lot of like rednecks that were kind of like there's a few people I remember that were in the KKK um, and the, and it was, this, it was this mixture of like this like hard like this hard hard right like logger who you know was kind of more you know all American and then there was a lot of um, kind of hippies that moved out to the country to get away away from everything and to grow pot and do whatever they wanted to do. It was kind of a really funny mixture of of uh, small town USA and like uh, artsy fartsy hippie um, people. So um, <laughs> it was a cool, it was a funny combination. Yeah. Well, now it has. Do you think this lended any way to your vision? I mean, I you know I I think. I mean, obviously you shoot in every format, but I the ones that stand out the most to me are these contrasted black and white images, and it, it seems like almost like this contrast with the city and with Mendocino County uh, in addition I don't know um, I I like I think like when like I started to get into photography um, my heroes that were photographers and the people I read about um, all shot black and white um, like I really like this fashion photographer called David Bailey um, who all his images were of like sexy girls in London, um, a lot of black and white. There's color too, but um, uh, I think a lot of just my heroes were all all shot black and white. And Thrasher magazine had mostly black and white. The color really didn't look that amazing back in like the early '80s, you know. So it got a lot better, obviously. But um, I think that's why I kind of gravitated towards black and white early. Also, um, when I learned photography, it was um, the easiest way to. Uh, produce a photograph was to shoot black and white film, uh, process it uh, yourself, and then print it yourself. And that was the least complicated way to make a photograph. Mm -hmm. um, the next thing would be to uh, shoot color film, have it processed, and then print it. Or, or you could shoot slide film and then get a process, and that was really fast. And that's what we shot all our color skate photos on. Um, then, but um, I don't know. I think I like uh, stark black and white photographs because because um, they're so all my heroes shot them. So that's that's kind of why I think I started shooting a lot of black and white. It's also less expensive too. Yeah. No, and I I love the way it looks. I mean, I I, I love it as well. Now uh, you mentioned one of uh, the photographers you liked. Who other? Who are a few others um, that kind of stand oh, out so strongly to you? Yeah, for um, uh, being a teenager and getting into photography, I I really liked um, uh, Edward Weston, mm -hmm. who 
he's he was so cool because he uh, didn't retouch any of his photographs. I guess like in his time, um, glamour or like um, making someone look good was all about uh, retouching this, this photograph to make it I don't know more painterly or something or mm-hmm. something like that. And I liked his his um, approach was. Uh, simple camera. He used the 8x10 camera with simple lens. Uh, he photographed, <clears throat> he made his images, and then he made his contact prints right off the 8x10 uh, negative. So it's exactly what you see. You know, exactly what he saw is what he's printing and giving, um, and that's his final product. Um, and it was just so simple. I liked his approach. And he was also like kind of an adventurer. Um, and lover of life uh, and he wrote a lot too and I liked his uh, reading his uh, like uh, journals and stuff and I, it was fun to kind of see uh, to read the stories behind the photograph mm-hmm. um, that's why I kind of one reason I got into him also Eugene Smith mm-hmm. um, I really love his photographs like and he you know was a documentary photographer um, he was also a war photographer and World War II. Uh, he shot some of um, like the most memorable photo essays um, ever. Um, and uh, then, like when I was like seventeen, I took a documentary photography workshop. Um, I got to meet uh, William Klein, who's a awesome photographer. Also, uh, Larry Clark, who was a uh, photographer and was also uh, a student of uh, Eugene Smith so I like that I like knowing that about him um, and they both you know take or took made lots of amazing uh, photographs like of real uh, real life situations and um, really just kind of got into I don't know different different situations with their cameras and were able to make capture these great moments and I thought, like, after after going to this workshop, I thought, wow, that's cool. That's what I want to do. I want to be, I just want to be in, I just want to be uh, in cool places or special places with my camera and uh, capture what's happening just as it's happening, just because it's real life and not, um, not setting up, like, kind of a faux picture or uh, not... Overproduced. Um, yeah, not not kind of like, you know, making something up. Or not, you know, rather than uh, writing something, or rather, rather than like putting something together, like just like being there and photographing it, just being in the right place at the right time um, and being ready. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I like to do. Right on. Well, we're gonna we're gonna shift. I'm gonna we're gonna go back to a little bit more photography. Well, obviously, a lot more photography. But you you know you started skating. Let's go back to you started skating at 11. Um, what was your first setup? Um, well, I, I had like a blue banana board, like, when I was, like <laughs> uh, seven or something. Um, I then, think I had a pink uh, one. <laughs> yeah, probably right. Uh, that's what I first first got me into it, and and then then a little later, actually, when I was like 13. Um, I like in the beginning of middle school. I uh, the kids I met in middle school uh, skateboarded, so I was able to kind of get into skateboarding then, and like for real with like real skateboard, not just a plastic board. Um, 
and they were my friends in middle school, and that's that's when I first started getting into skateboarding. Right. I, I need to amend that. I, my first board was a Hobie with clay wheels, but I did have a yellow banana board later. Santa brought it. <laughs> so um, now, um, you know, and then photography. Um, well, and what was your first trick? What was your first trick on a skateboard? My first trick on a skateboard was a boneless. Wow. I can remember just doing bonelesses over and over and over and over and again. <laughs> I was like my first like trick that I just love to do. That's rad. That's amazing. Um, you know, and then your and then photography obviously came hand in hand. Um, you know, and you had a photo class at fourteen and I I, I think with Luke and with Julian and with Sean Martin and another guy, um, that was am I correct and that was your first like photo well, class? Well my first photo class was actually um with Luke Ogden and uh I, I went to high school with um Luke, Julian, and Sean Martin. Um, uh, but yeah, first photo class was with Luke, and it was like a summertime, uh, you know, class where we learned to shoot photos and process the film and make, you know, make prints. And uh, and we were skateboarding every day, and uh, that's really what our focus was: was we're shooting skateboarding and getting a cool picture of our friends skateboarding. Um, so yeah, it was really fun. To, to kind of learn this new craft and uh, have uh, so many uh, so many opportunities, so many things to take photographs of, so many people, so many friends that skated really good, and so many like you know backyard ramps to go skate, so many uh, pools to go skate, and just street skating around San Francisco. Um, it's just a lot, lot to look at. So, it was, it was, I was really fortunate. Yeah, no, amazing, amazing scene in San Francisco as well, and um, I'm going to address that in a moment. But I want to. What's your? What was your first setup as far as a camera? Uh, my first setup as far as a camera um, was borrowing like my mom's Pentax ME uh -huh. something. Um, but my first real camera that was my camera was a um, Minolta X700, um, and uh, yeah, that was my first camera. I had that for I don't know maybe a year or something. I got a fisheye lens for it. And then, uh, then I got a uh, base. Uh, what is it? I got a Nikon F three. Mm -hmm. um, I I I worked at a photo lab and I saved that money. I got a Nikon F three, and then I sold my old uh, Minolta fisheye uh, to Gabe Morford, who's who's mm -hmm. obviously an amazing photographer, and and he um, he was just like he he was a slightly younger than me and Luke. Mm -hmm. uh, but was right there with us, you know, coming up photographing, uh, skateboarding. That's cool. The giving back once again. That's really cool. <laughs> um, you know, and let's you know, and then your first you you had your ad, an ad published in Thrasher at 15 years old in 1975 or 1985. Pardon me. Um, of Jake on a longboard, uh, and you want to tell us a little bit more about that first photo. Yes, um, it was actually it was actually not an ad. It was a oh. in an article article in Thrasher on longboarding, um, and we we're I don't know where what ramp we were skating, but I think it was out in the East Bay somewhere. And uh, Jake had this uh, really cool style, and you know he just looked like no one else around San Francisco. I think he had come from um, he might have just been in the East Coast. I think maybe he grew up in San Francisco, but then went away and then came back but anyway it's a photograph of him doing a tail block on this uh this vert ramp 
and it was a really cool photo. Uh, it came out in the magazine and uh, uh, <laughs> had Luke Ogden's photo credit, not mine. Uh, so they miscredited the photograph, but but it was really cool to to get a photograph published. I was really really fortunate. Um, and then later on, I like a year later, I had some photographs of um, this guy Mike Alcantyre, who's from I think Vallejo or San Jose. And um, I gave them to um, to Bryce uh, Knight at Thrasher to see if they wanted to use it uh, for the magazine. And um, and Fausto saw it. Uh, the images that uh, Mike Alcantara skated for Venture Trucks, and um, and Fausto wanted to use it for Venture Ad, so they used it for Venture Ad. Um, and I got photo credit. And they spelled my name right and <laughs> after <laughs> after seeing that come out in the magazine and I got a hundred bucks uh-huh. for it and I was six and I was 16 years old and that's a lot of money you know for being a teenager and I figured like wow I can get paid for this it was the first time I realized well well and so I I, I want to say was that the was that the turning point was that when you kind of realized that that's really what you wanted to do yeah exactly I told my parents right or my mom my stepdad right then that I wanted to be a photographer, and they're like, "Okay, that's great." Um, but what do you want to do? But, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great aspiration. I like that you you know, want to do that, but you should have something safe to fall back on, like um, a trade or something like that. And I'm like, "Okay, well, I'm still going to be a photographer." All right, whatever. <laughs> so fun. That's cool. No, and then now um, you know, obviously uh, NorCal. Um, NorCal to Southern Cal, and NorCal, you were there, I mean, so much phenomenal skating went was going on in San Francisco, in the, in, up in Northern California. Uh, if stereo days, you kind of also were in the beginning of the stereo days and helped, helped kind of conceptualize their campaign. Yes. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I think in like 1991 or something, uh, I was on... Uh, uh, European, uh, I was at the all the European skate contests, um, and um, I remember going there for like a Spanish skateboard magazine. Uh, so I flew into Madrid, and then we ended up, you know, in Germany around some uh, skateboard skate contest. And um, uh, I saw uh, all my friends from Deluxe, um, like all the guys from Real. It was Real area, and. Um, I guess that was the only two companies. And what else? What else? Uh, Anti-Hero? Or, I'm, I'm no, they not, weren't not around, around Yeah, I was going to say they weren't around yet. Um, no, but, yeah, so I saw all those guys there, and so I got to, I just jumped in their bus and um, and went uh, touring around with them and then got to be kind of close with Jason and Chris Pastris, um, Jason Lee and Chris Pastris, and shot a lot of photographs of them when, when we were touring around. And they asked me out there, they said, hey, we were going to put together a video and maybe uh, you can help us uh, shoot it. And so so coming back to um, California after that, then we started to shoot uh, for the stereo video. Right. So your so f- cinematography really came hand in hand with your photography immediately then. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's the same for every uh, skate photographer because there's the there's always there's always a need for emotion mm-hmm. or video work and there's always you know uh, for photography as well so so yeah I, I would 
bring my still camera and video camera to shoots and sometimes end up filming more. Um, and then maybe there was a, an opportunity for like a still or sequence and I would, um, you know, put down the video camera and do some stills or some sequences and then, you know, kind of go back and forth. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, and what was this camera of choice? Or what was this video camera? Video camera of choice. I remember having, I think, the cool camera, the fancy camera to get. It was a Canon. I don't remember the name <laughs> of it, but it looks really old now. But, um, we had a Canon for the stereo video, and it was something that had a big handle on it, a nice lens. Uh, it was um, high 8. Uh, or maybe it was regular 8, and the next cameras that came out were high 8. Um, uh, in the mid '90s, I had a Sony high camera uh, for uh, part of the serial video, and also uh, for Antiheroes uh, photards. Was the first uh, video I shot for them. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. Um, you know, and if you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Tobin Yellen. You can follow him on Instagram, on Twitter at Tobin Yellen, or his check out his website. Uh, obviously, is TobinYellen.com. Uh, to see all more stuff, uh, zines. I mean, there's so many, so many different levels uh, to what you have done. Um, and are we going to ever see some of these? Are we going to have some unshown footage coming out from all these Super 8 cameras of those early days? Um, <laughs> are they, is, it, is it good enough? <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's some stuff out there. Um, I do. Not everything that I shot is in a video uh-huh. um i do have um a bunch of tapes right. uh, there's a lot of stuff to go through but most of it was for for different videos um um but yeah there i don't know there's probably some footage in there that would is cool so i, I don't know i, I could look through it i have a camera my mom gave me her old eight camera to to uh oh, cool. to show to uh, pr- a projector pardon me projector so, um, oh, cool. Yeah. Now, um, I want to ask uh, Nikon, I heard. Uh, so, I was going to ask you your camera of choice. Uh, so, Hasselblad or Leica or a Nikon or. I, you know, I never had a Hasselblad. I've shot with it a little bit. My, my friend in art school had one, and, and that's a beautiful camera. I just never, uh, never got one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Mostly I've shot with 35 millimeter. Uh, mostly skate photos I shot um, with a Nikon FM2, an uh, F3, and an F5. Um, I got my buddy Tom had a Leica M6, and he sold it to me for a good price back in the day. And that was my first Leica, uh, and I love that camera just for the size and you know, uh, sharpness of the lens and quietness and love, love that little camera. Um, and I intimacy. have an intimacy. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you, with the Leica, you have a little bit more intimate. It's not as obtrusive. I think you have a little bit more intimacy with being places and capturing what you do capture. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It gives uh, more intimacy. I also really like a Olympus XA. Mm-hmm. It's a, little little camera with um an an add on flash <clears throat> and that talk about intimate this little black camera um so tiny and looks just like a toy camera and it has manual focus and manual uh shutter uh, f stop
And I got a lot of great photos of that camera just because it doesn't look like anything. And you have it in your pocket and you can go get like intimate moments with. And it has a self timer on it too, oh. where you, you can just set it up on, you can <laughs> uh, kind of lean it up against like a, a chair or something and get, get a self portrait of you and your friends. And that's super fun too. But, um, but yeah, I, so many cameras. But you know, it doesn't even matter like what camera it is. It's really the best camera to have is the, the camera you have with you at the time mm-hmm. no that's a great uh, great um and you know we're running out of time unfortunately there's so um but i there's another quote i want to read to you um from another another photographer and skateboarder uh tobin is not just one of my favorite skateboard skate photographers but one of my all-time favorite photographers period his images for me were a window into the skateboard culture that i love so much all because he felt what was happening after the action was just as important. Thanks, Tobin. Ray Barbie. Oh, thanks, Ray. That's so nice. So, um, you know, you do you are you do you realize what uh, how you have impacted us all? Now I'm putting you on the spot, Tobin. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, well, I think this this is what I think. I think um, that yeah, especially like when I grew up like in the 80s and 90s there's no cell phones <laughs> or maybe the late late 90s I got a cell phone but there's no you know nowadays it's just like you're texting someone and you send them a photo or you're at a skate session and everyone has a video of whatever everything that goes on you know what I mean um, and I feel like when when I was into photography there was there was a long delay between a, like a skate session and then getting to see the images from that skate session it's um, I think it was kind of it's kind of special when uh, you may not have been at this session and you may hear stories about this session and it and it's maybe a week before you see any images or two weeks or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. Uh, there's just so much more uh, anticipation or there's a lot more anticipation I feel like when um when I was uh, uh, shooting a lot of skate photos. And maybe, um, uh, I, I don't know, I always, I uh, definitely try to take, um, show like a human side to, to everyone that I'm around and photographing. Um, and maybe uh, sharing that like intimate moment with maybe um, a pro skater that um, a lot of people look up to is, um, I don't know. It's cool, maybe it's different. I don't know. Um, maybe yeah. that's why. Yeah. No, you have, and you have an eye. I mean, you have a beautiful. You have an eye uh, for what you're seeing. Um, you know, which is makes the difference as well. Um, you know, you mentioned that that anticipation, um, film or digital. Obviously, for me, I prefer film, although it's it's too expensive to use on a regular basis and you, you know you brought up a valid point uh the camera you have right now um but if you had your choice what would you shoot oh um i think uh i really like shooting with um the like a digital rangefinder um the m262 it's really expensive but someday i'll get one <laughs> so, um I, I have i have the lens i have a m6 uh, and a couple lenses, and I love to shoot with that. It 
uh, although I, I really do like um, the digital photographs and um, I like playing with how they're going to look in, at the end. Um, and if I, so in answer to your question, I would like to shoot with a uh, Leica M262, um, just like a digital rangefinder, and shoot with that every day. I think that would be, I'd be happy doing with that. I do really like um, uh, Nikon's digital camera too, from the, I guess the D810, I think it is. Um, they're amazing. There's so many good cameras. Uh, the Leica SL is pretty uh, awesome too. I got to shoot with that recently. And that makes beautiful pictures, and like the skin tones look amazing, like right out of, uh, right out of the camera. Wow! Um, I really like the way the images look. Um, um, but I think any, I think it's again, it's whatever camera you have at the mm -hmm. moment, and you make the best um, work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm gonna go completely off the charts. Um, you know. Married, have children. What was like? What was what was it like for you becoming a father? Oh, um, so exciting to become a! It was so exciting for me to become a father that I didn't know what it was going to be like, um, and I was freaked out as to what my life was going to be like after um, having um, my son Gabriel. Um, but. Uh, I, I just feel, yeah, after after he was born, it's just an amazing experience, and um, then just my life became bigger and fuller. Um, I also have a, a, a daughter named Nina, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's really, really cool having a family. Um, a lot of um, a lot of amazing moments um, that, yeah, I don't know what else to say, yeah, but it's cool. it's great. I love it. That's cool. And you have a lot going on right now as well. There's a lot of things coming out for you. Um, you're, you've been working on uh, uh, working on something with Jim Greco. Uh, you've got a commercial for Vans coming out in March. You've done something with Levi's that's coming out. Um, a lot of different modeling. What you're, You wear many hats. What hat do you like best? Do you like being director, producer, uh, cinematographer, all of it? Um, still photographer is there any is there any role that you prefer of all the roles you do i i think if i had to choose one thing or one uh uh one art form or whatever i think i would choose still photography mm -hmm. um um and maybe it's because i've done it the longest and i just i i really love it um but i feel like uh, i love i love to do kind of a variation of different uh, mediums and it's so fun just to have uh, just to dip into uh, making a video and to um, and then kind of think about what um, what parts of the, this video project would make good stills and then you know and then when I'm making stills I also feel like oh this would be such a great moment for you know to get this uh, on a video camera or whatever some kind of uh, motion camera and um, I like to draw too I like to write um, I think it kind of uh, planning for a project or um, kind of dreaming up a project mm -hmm. uh, it's great to write and draw pictures <laughs> and then um, and then go out and kind of I love to collaborate with friends too uh, that makes it so much more enjoyable to to be able to be inspired and bounce ideas off of other creative people and then come together and be like, all right, we're going to do this. 
next week, and then you all get together next week, and you do this project, and and you shoot it, edit it, or you have a photo shoot, and then you know, and then process those photographs. And um, this, it's they're all really really fun, um, enjoyable like ways to make work. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's it's a it's a definite balancing act. I, I struggle kind of going back and forth trying to figure out what I want to be when I want to grow up. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but now, um, prints are there any available? Um, can people purchase some of your prints, or are there any shows coming up that they can purchase some of your prints, or do we direct them to your website? Um, yeah, you can go check out my website. I have some uh, skate photos on my website that I've been uh, having that are available. Um, if you're in the Southern California area, I'm working on a, a photo show with um, my old friend Solomon Ra at his uh, oh, his yeah. restaurant Pizza Nista uh-huh. in Long Beach. So yeah, so we're we're working on it. I think we're gonna have it uh, put it together for late January. Okay. I'm not sure exactly the date, but we're in the um, kind of planning stages, um, and then. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to be um, uh, filming some of um, Jim Greco's next video. Um, we've been going out and shooting, and I think this weekend is our last uh, couple days of shooting. And then that his film will come out, I think, in February. It's already planned to come out in February on, on Thrasher, Thrasher's website. So I'm excited for that. I really like his, his um, approach, and, and it's really awesome watching them skate yeah no that's it's really cool I, I'm really looking forward to that as well um, and then you know there's you I mean it's you like I said you wear so many different hats and are able to translate and, and it's not it's not just skateboarding it's life it's people it's uh, emotion it's grit it's it's real life and it's this intimacy and this closeness that you're able to capture I mean and it's not limited to skateboarding or the youth you know, I feel I, looking at your body of work, it's you can see it translates throughout whatever you're capturing. Um, you know, it's uh, it's beautiful. Thank you for you know for pursuing your 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 heart and sharing this gift with us. You're welcome, and thank you, thank you for having me on your show. And um, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, you too, Tobin. Thanks again, and thanks uh, for the extra time as well. I really appreciate it. Okay, have a good night. All right, you too. All right, huge thanks uh, to Tobin Yellen. Um, huge thanks for him making the time, for PJ for uh, staying a little longer and being able to make sure we have that recorded. Uh, I want to also thank Ray Barbie, uh, John Cardial for their time and getting me a quote on Tobin. Um, and you can follow Tobin at Tobin Yellen on Instagram, Twitter, or check out his website. Uh, stay tuned for the Pizza Nista uh, art show he's going to have at the end of January. Just go and follow his Instagram feed and you'll be able to follow that and find out. And also want to stay tuned with uh, with Greco's new video coming out, as he mentioned, uh, in February on Thrasher. I uh, also want to thank Coach uh, Masaki Mus- Matsumoto for joining us from Washington tonight. And also uh, Head Coach... Let me see. My brain. Uh, also want to thank... Um, the head coach uh, from Cathedral Catholic, Coach 
Doyle uh, for making the time as well, and congratulations to them. They are 12-0 heading into a game versus Helix. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. You can follow the Desiree Show on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, or follow my personal account at uh, Desiree underscore Astorga, or follow the fan book page on Facebook, or go and tune in to the iTunes Desiree Show and subscribe so you don't miss any. I'm going to be loading a bunch. Uh, huge thanks again, PJ, and you guys for tuning in. I am out and have a dynamite week.